if you can take a look, we are continuing on in our sermon series, and the topic for today's sermon is uh, the importance of being part of a community, and especially in the light of social distancing. How does that affect our social life, and what kind of implications do those things have in the way we live every day? And uh, so the title of the sermon is Creatures of Community. There are just a few verses that I'll highlight. Um, and if you are new to us, then I do want to mention that we are doing a special topical sermon series. And the title of this series overall over the next month and a half is From Outbreak to Breakthrough. Because we understand that we are in an outbreak with the COVID-19 pandemic. But although it is very devastating and we want to commiserate with those who are suffering, we also see that God is doing indeed a new thing. And maybe this could be an opportunity for all of us to experience various breakthroughs in our lives. So we are going to tackle very uh, topics that are very important, critical, and urgent that we typically take for granted. But in light of this new season that we're living in the midst of COVID-19, they are becoming much more pressing. So for instance, last week we talked about being creatures of habit. And honestly, this past week with my routine, I felt much more productive than ever. And even as I have been working out more, I weighed myself and I'm actually, I don't think I've ever weighed less than I do now, probably since five years ago. And I'm lifting weights that are heavier than I can remember for at least five years. Um, and more importantly, not just the productivity, not just the physical benefits, throughout the week, I've been so mindful and aware that the reason why I'm going through a routine is because God himself is a God of routine, and that is how he interacts with me, and that has truly been so uplifting in the ways that I've been just living my week this past week, and even connecting with some of us individually, we recognize that routine is not only so important right now, but it has been really helpful, and it's been a great reminder of how critically urgent this is in our lives. Uh, like I mentioned, the topic for today is creatures of community. What does it look like for us to be part of a community and to maintain these relationships in the midst of social distancing. Next week, we're going to talk about overcoming adversity because COVID-19 has really caused a lot of adverse situations in our lives. How do we cope with that? And does the gospel say anything meaningful? Overcoming death, overcoming conflict. A lot of us, we are cooped up in our homes. And fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of the relationships we are forced to engage in are seeped with a lot of baggage and drama. So how do we overcome such conflict? And how do we overcome our mind? One of the things that we're going to see, not only through this sermon series, but even as we are living more isolated lifestyle, is how detrimental, what kind of impact that has, even for our mental health. So please, we would love for you to benefit from these sermons, but I also understand that a lot of these topics are topics that are very relevant to maybe some of our non-Christian friends, people who aren't church. So I wholeheartedly encourage you to spread the word and to encourage others to check it out. Uh, but like I mentioned, today's focus is creatures of community. Let me pray for us one last time, and then we will begin the sermon. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is so timely. Uh, it is incredible when we think about how it was written thousands of years ago and how modern science is basically affirming so many of the principles, so many of the exhortations, the things that you have written down to us so long ago. And we pray that your word would not only benefit our lifestyle, but more importantly, it would teach us how to worship you. Because at the end of the day, our life is not about us just getting the most of our own lives, but it's all about worshiping and pleasing, honoring you, responding to your character, responding to the ways that you're so intimately involved in our lives. Because when we do respond to that, that is when we ourselves are benefited most. So thank you so much for your word. May your word speak to us. May your Holy Spirit truly have your way in us. All of us, we are coming from different personalities, different backgrounds, different experiences. Holy Spirit, only you know how to convict our hearts. So we surrender this time and we submit it completely into his hands. We thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Like I mentioned in the prayer, all of us, we come from different personalities, backgrounds, experiences. So if you have any questions from the sermon, then please do not hesitate to text them away. All of these are anonymous and we will try to reflect upon all of them during service. So I will, uh, you'll see the phone number in every single one of the slides and I'll also remind us 
at the conclusion of the sermon as well. And if you even have any prayer requests, then you can text those away. Um, like I mentioned last week, and we're going to continue with the same format, when we think about topical, really relevant issues like routine or community or relationships, there are really two perspectives that are so important for us to understand these topics. And the first perspective has to do with us. How does community, relationships, our social life, how does it benefit us? And the second perspective, which I will argue is much more important, is how does our communal life, our social life, our relationships, how is that worship to God? How are those things actually glorifying and honoring to God? On the one hand, these things are things that are beneficial to us. But more importantly, these are things that are opportunities for us to honor and worship God. And therefore, we're going to look at this topic in light of these two perspectives. So the first perspective is being a part of a relational community is urgent because it benefits us. And second, which is really the heart of the sermon, is being a part of a relational community is urgent because it is worshipful to God. Now, I do want to just pause and just go over some really basic things because you'll notice in the italics, I say relational community. Um, so even as I was preparing this message, I was wondering, should I be talking about the importance or the urgency of relationships or the importance or urgency of community? And the problem with both of those words is they're not sufficient. In other words, you can actually hide in the midst of your relationships and you can actually hide in the midst of your community. For example, all of us were part of the Uptown community. It's great. We drop in every Sunday worship or maybe we drop in throughout the week through impact groups or even through the drop-ins. But if your social life is just about being part of a community, you can actually hide because you can just drop in and out. You're not really being relational with any individuals. You're not having any meaningful, intimate, vulnerable conversations. Yes, you are part of a community, but you're not really engaged in that community. However, on the other side, some of us, we're not really into communities. We're not really into organizations. We're all about relationships. We still keep in touch with the best friend from grade school or the friends that we forged in university years or whatever it may be. But those relationships are not sufficient either because you can hide behind those relationships. Because in those relationships, you're not, there is no strict rhythm where you meet with them once a week. And let's say you're going through a season where you just want to shut them off. You easily could do that because in relationships, there are natural ebbs and flows. Whenever there are situations where you want to hide certain one of your character flaws or you want to hide different aspects of your life, then with your relationships, you don't have to keep in touch with them. You can ignore their texts and maybe call them a few weeks later or a few months down the line. So the reason why I say relational community is because you need both. You need to be a part of a community because there's structure, there's rhythm. You need to meet with them on a regular basis because that forces you not to ignore them, not to put them aside whenever you're going through some type of situation. But at the same time, you need relationships. And that's why I am saying relational community. And if you've been part of our Uptown community, you know that this is exactly what we strive to be. We want to be a community where there's structure, where there's some predictability, there's a rhythm. But at the same time, we want to be a community where we are relational, where we are trying to get to know each other meaningfully, one individual at a time. So throughout the sermon, I'm going to talk about relational community. You need those relationships, but you also need to be a part of a community. And really, church community, the way it's described in the Bible, is really the only institution I can think of that strikes that perfect balance of being a relational community or a communal relationship. Uh, the next thing that you'll notice is I say urgent, not important. So last week I talked about the importance of routine. I want to backtrack that. Actually, based on some of the feedback that I've been receiving this past week, and even as I've been preparing this message about communal living, it's not just important. These things are absolutely urgent, critical. These are things that we need to do, not next week, not when the pandemic is over. These are things that we need to put into practice now. Today, tomorrow, immediately, and I'll explain to us, not only from modern science, but more importantly, through the word of God, 
the perfect word of God, that these things, communal living, is not just important. It's not just a nice add-on. It is absolutely urgent. Just like all of us, we need physical food to eat. We also need to be part of some type of relational community. So the first thing I'm going to talk about, which is, again, not really the heart of the sermon, but I do think we want to touch upon this because it can be helpful, is the first perspective. How is being a part of a relational community how is this urgent? Why, why is it beneficial to us? Because if you're like me, man, I am an introvert. And honestly speaking, as much as I want to empathize with how devastating the COVID-19 pandemic has been, and it truly has been, I know some of us, we have lost loved ones through this. Some of us, we are losing our jobs. We are losing our livelihood. Some of us are truly in panic. Some of us are trapped inside homes where there's abuse, where it's not safe, it's not healthy. I understand it is devastating, but honestly speaking, I'm just being vulnerable before all of us, is I'm an introvert. And in many ways, I truly love this new lifestyle. And even as an introvert, and some of us are wondering, you're an introvert, and you're thinking, I don't need no relational community. I'm fine as it is. But let me tell you, even as an introvert, even though I love reading, doing my research, all these things in solitude, I'll be honest, I miss going to Starbucks, not because of the coffee. I miss going to the public library, not because of the books. Primarily, I love studying, even though I have a nice stand-up desk at home, ergonomically, I've updated it, I love my setup, but I still miss being crammed at Starbucks. Why? It's because I want to be in the midst of people. And no, I'm not striking conversations with people at the library or at Starbucks, but just simply being in the presence of people. I'm not interacting with them. I'm still doing my work. I'm still doing the same things that I could do in my more ergonomically friendly uh, home setup. But I miss being in public places simply because I like seeing people. I like hearing their chatter as background noise. In fact, one of my favorite websites that I use all the time is SoundDrown.com. And in SoundDrown.com, you can simulate certain noises. And one of the noises that simulates is playground noise, where I hear little kids playing in the playground. You can simulate cafe noise, where I hear the, ch the murmuring and the chattering. You can simulate white noise, all these different things. And I use all these different sounds because even in the solitude of my room, because we are practicing social distancing, I want to simulate some type of feeling that I'm still in the midst of people. We are social beings. Um, and you don't really need to be a rocket scientist to understand this. Even as you observe animals, some of the most basic animals, for instance, the ant, which by all intents and purposes, their brains are classified as a very primitive, simple brain. But even ants that have these so-called primitive brains, their social network is amazing. We see the queen ant and all the worker ants working around it. They have a very well-defined structure, role. Even science, recently, they are suggesting that organisms that don't even have a nervous system, for instance, bacteria, science is now suggesting that such organisms have social awareness of other organisms that don't even have a nervous system. It's incredible. And when we think about these basic, primitive animals, organisms, whatever, having social awareness, and when we think about our brains as human beings, how advanced we are, modern science has recognized that, wow, the more advanced our brains are, the more social need, this need for relational community is that much, not just important, it is absolutely urgent. So take, for example, um, you are talking to somebody. And you're in a conversation with them. And you notice that in this conversation, man, you guys are really connecting. And have you ever noticed that when you're connecting, that you either mimic subconsciously the same facial expressions, the body language as the person you're talking to, or the person you're talking to is mimicking your facial expressions and your body language. And the reason why that is, is again, there's neuroscience behind that, is we actually have these things called mirror neurons in our brains and their sole purpose is to be able to empathize with other people so when we see a facial expression there is a likely chance the more we converse with that person we also mimic that facial expression it's pretty funny 
But we see that even in our everyday conversations, in our everyday interactions, we are literally wired to connect with other people. And the more we learn about our brain, especially with the advancements of neuroimaging technology, the more we are affirming and recognizing that social life, being part of a relational community is not just important, it is absolutely urgent. So there are studies where they scan your brain activity and the same type of areas and regions of your brain that respond to a broken leg, for instance, or physical pain are the same areas and the same intensity when you are experiencing social pain, for instance, a devastating breakup. So neuroscientists, not therapists or psychiatrists, but neuroscientists themselves are saying that social pain is just as real and painful as physical pain. It's incredible. So even now, these days, there are studies that are happening in peer-reviewed research articles where social solitude, isolation, loneliness is now at the same order of magnitude as health risks such as smoking, obesity, and high blood pressure. I mean, it is crazy just how intertwined our need for socializing is that it is just as devastating and critical as things like smoking. And therefore, there is a strong correlation between solitude and loneliness and isolation and premature death and your immune system breaking down. Um, even this past week, as I was connecting with some of us, I'll leave this person anonymous. This person was sharing about how she has chronic pain. And because of the social distancing, it has really exasperated her chronic pain. And there is science behind it. Neuroscience would affirm that. Our brains are wired for that. Not just physical pain, but even mental health. When we think about how mental health is so prevalent, there is a very strong correlation between your social life and you being more susceptible to mental health issues. Um, and even in light of today, so what does all of this have to do with today is obviously with social distancing, some of us have been feeling, yes, I'm still working. Yes, I'm still trying to come up with my routine, especially after last week's message. I feel like maybe my rhythm is a little bit better, but there's still this gnawing, nagging discontent in my heart. I can't quite place my finger on it. I'm still part of the drop-ins. I'm still connecting with my impact group. I'm still connecting socially, but for whatever reason, I just don't feel like something just feels off. And that is because in the midst of the social distancing, because now we're connecting virtually, it does take a toll on the way we are as human beings. So they've even done studies of what is it like to connect with people physically versus virtually and how different parts of our brain triggers and the intensity is different. And even when we socialize via text messages, yes, that's helpful. We can see that even in neuroscience, when we look at the activity of our brain, when we interact with people via text message, far better than not interacting with people at all. But then when you interact with somebody via video, that's even that much more effective and beneficial to you than just via text message. And the next step is obviously, if you can interact with somebody physically, that is even more beneficial than these video conferences. What I'm trying to say is right now, we have to make do with what we have. I'm not trying to promote that we are you know, part of these conspiracy theories of this whole social distancing is in order to disrupt our society and whatever. No, no, no. I think we should continue to practice social distancing. I'm just explaining to us why we feel this gnawing, nagging, discontent, a sense of maybe anxiety. It's because we are created wired to connect with people socially. And given these restrictions, obviously it's going to have a profound ripple, unanticipated implications in all areas of our lives. Just like we talked about last week with routine, same type of profound implications with uh, our social life as well. And, you know, everything that I'm saying, uh, yes, it's backed by science. If you've been with us, you know I'm a big fan of neuroscience. I think it's just so fascinating. But as fascinating as some of these studies are, Boy, oh boy, isn't it so funny that these are the same things that scripture has told us 
thousands of years ago, even before this modern technology, the urgency of being part of a relational community, neuroscientists are finally able to pick that up now. But guess what? We see in scripture, this is something that has been instructed to us thousands and thousands of years ago. And it's because it's truly the word of God. So I want to highlight, again, we're still in the first perspective of how being part of a relational community is absolutely beneficial to us. I just want to highlight a few verses. And the first verse is from the letter of Hebrews. And in this situation, this community, they're experiencing a lot of discouragement. Some of them are experiencing anxiety. Some of them are experiencing a lack of hope. They're wondering if they made the right decision to become Christian. A lot of them are truly, truly struggling. And what is the remedy that the author of Hebrews offers to his or her own struggling members? It's not, hey, why don't you watch your favorite YouTube preacher? It's not, hey, why don't you lock yourself up in a room and go through some yoga prayer meditation? Or why don't you go exercise and make sure that physically you're in the right shape? No, no. The writer of Hebrews points to the need to be a part of a relational community. Let me demonstrate this for us. Is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 13. It says, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you with an un- evil and unbelieving heart. And some of us, maybe we are experiencing an evil, unbelieving heart. Maybe some of us were experiencing apathy. Maybe some of us were just experiencing just a callousness towards God or whatever it is. And all of this is leading us to fall away from the living God. Some of us may feel a little disconnected. Some of us may feel a little lost in our relationship with God. Guess what the writer of Hebrews says? Therefore, what is the remedy for this problem? Is exhort one another, each other, relational community, every day. Not just on Sundays. Not just on worship drop-ins Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, or your impact group every other week. I know some of us were meeting every week. But it says, as long as it is called today, literally every single day, the writer of Hebrews, this is the word of God, saying, encourage one another. Exhort one another. Otherwise, some of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And again, we can be vulnerable to each other. I shared, I spilled my beans earlier, how the first week of the pandemic was really difficult. I struggled with an evil, unbelieving heart. I was hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And what got me out of that was truly this uptown community, specifically the worship drop-ins. Literally, I lived this out. And for some of us who are experiencing a little, being a little lost, being a little disconnected, whatever it may be, please be a part of a relational community. As it says, exhort one another in a communal relational format as long as it's called today. Not just on Sundays, but every single day we need this. Because all of us, we are susceptible to an evil, unbelieving, apathetic, lazy, callous, hardened heart before God. And Hebrews is pointing, the word of God is pointing to not just the importance of being part of a relational community. Absolute urgency. We need to do this now. Not when the pandemic is over, but now. Uh, ten, a few chapters later, Hebrews chapter 10, same letter. And let us consider how to stir up one another. Again, one another. To love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. As is a habit of some. Now, I'll be honest. Some of us, if you had not been part of a relational community for weeks, for months, for A year. Man, that is a really dangerous habit to be in. And honestly speaking, you've heard me say this in another sermon. If you look at the way the New Testament describes what it means to be a Christian, if you're not not part of a relational community, I'm sorry, based on the New Testament, you're not living a Christian life. You really need to reconsider. Are you truly understanding and responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or was it just some phase that you experienced at some previous season of your life? We need to be part of a relational community. We need to encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. We cannot neglect, we cannot allow this to become a habit of ours. Because again, it's not just a matter of it being important. It is absolutely critically urgent that we are part of a relational community. There's some type of rhythm. We meet 
as frequently as possible, but at least once a week. There's some type of rhythm, but at the same time, there's depth and meaning, intimacy where there are relationships. Now, I understand. Being a part of a relational community in this new format is difficult. I understand. I'm not a video conference type of guy. I don't like it either. It's sub... Honestly, like there is... uh, I feel like you're much more subconscious in this new video conference format because you see in the thumbnail how you look like. Even as you log on to Zoom or Google Hangouts, it tells you what you look like. And man, I'm just thinking, I don't want people to see me. Whereas when you're just in real life situation physically... You're not so subconscious. You're not looking at yourself and you just meet people and it's a lot less stressful. I understand. I don't, I understand for some introverts, especially, I can completely empathize. You think you're a 10 out of 10 as an introvert? I'll see your 10 out of 10. I'll raise you another three. I am truly an introvert. This is not my natural disposition to speak in front of people. Um, truly, I can empathize with you. So let me give you just some very practical ways to overcome this type of fear and discomfort is yes, please utilize, make most of our worship drop-ins, make most of your impact group gatherings. And uh, especially because our impact group season, we are coming to an end. Uh, Traditionally speaking, we end end of May, early June, but this year we're going to end end of May and we're going to transition into the summer our worship drop-ins, and we'll provide more details about that. But for now, continue with the worship drop-ins. One of the things that you can do is, if you feel so shy and uncomfortable, log on anonymously. It's fine. When you log on to your Zoom, in your name, just don't put blank, or put anonymous, or put I'm too uncomfortable, whatever it is. And log on, mute your mic, mute your video, and just participate. Just be part of this relational community that we're trying to create. And as you get more comfortable, maybe the second meeting, the third meeting, the second week, the third week, or whatever, maybe you can open up yourself a little bit more. And instead of just being completely anonymous, maybe if you want to communicate, you send chat messages in the Zoom session. And maybe as you get more comfortable, the next step is you unmute your mic. So yes, you're anonymous, but now you actually speak. And maybe now you come, not anonymously, but with your actual name. Or if you want to use a fake name, whatever it is. We just want you to be part of our community. And eventually, if you want to unmute your video, I may or may not be speaking to you, Elizabeth, (laughs) but I know for some of us who are very shy, please, step by step, make yourself more part of our community. Again, if you just want to remain anonymous, we would wholeheartedly welcome you because we understand the urgency of being part of a relational community. But at the same time, you also understand that it might be very uncomfortable. It might be very nerve-wracking for some of us. Now, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this first perspective because honestly, you can hear this first perspective in any self-help, secular talk, lecture, whatever, podcast. This, I'm not really talking about the gospel. Everything that I said doesn't really intersect with what Jesus Christ has done for us. So that's where the second perspective is so important, and that is truly the heart of this message, is not only is being a part of a relational community urgent because it benefits us, but much more importantly, is being a part of a relational community is urgent because it is worshipful to God. And this is truly the perspective that we need to see. Is Not only is it beneficial to us, but it actually brings honor and pleasure to God. And the way we're going to look at this is really three quick points. Some of these I hope is becoming more familiar to you because I'm repeating it over and over again for a reason. And the first point is we're going to look at God's character. Inherently, God's character, He is a very relational, communal God. The second thing we're going to see is because in his character, inherently, he is relational, he is communal. The way he works in human history, the way he is involved in my life, the way he is involved throughout scriptural history, even as we're doing it in the Bible reading plan, we see God is so relational in the ways that he interacts, in the ways that he does everything. And the last thing that we're going to talk about is in order for us to truly live like this, we're relational community is worship to God. Our minds need to be renewed. And it's a simple point, but it's going to take our entire life for us 
to truly apply these things consistently. So I'm going to talk about the first two points together because they are so intertwined in scripture. And then we're going to end with the last point of how our minds truly need to be renewed. So as I mentioned in the scripture passages, we're not going to break these down because we've been reading Genesis chapter one last week. I've talked about this many times in our Bible exploration last summer and in part of other sermon series. So I'm just going to highlight a few things. Notice when God creates humanity, he does things a little differently. In Genesis chapter 1, when he creates everything, he just says, hey, let me create this, let me create that. But with humanity, it's a little different. Verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Bible is not being repetitive for no reason. The Bible is being repetitive to signal to all of us, wait a minute, something's a little different. When God creates humanity, it's a little different. He references us our image, our likeness, who is God talking about? There's nobody else in Genesis chapter 1. Who is he talking about? For some of us, or some interpretations is, oh, God is probably talking about the angelic host. The angels are spectating this amazing act of creation. So God is saying, hey, let us make man in our image and our likeness. But that's not true. Because we see that God, it says explicitly in verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. Not in the image of God plus angels, but strictly in the image of God. And when we think about God, when he creates, when he's about to create humanity, and he refers, he's talking to himself, let us make God in our image, our likeness, we know exactly whom he is referring When you look at John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, all of it is clear. Jesus, the Son, was with the Father at the dawn of creation, beginning of creation, before creation. And we know throughout the New Testament, the concept of Trinity, where God is not just some isolated being, but God is fullness of relationship, fullness of community between the Father and Son and Spirit, and that's how we come up with the word Trinity. And even now in modern day usage, Trinity has become a colloquialism where everybody uses the word Trinity in to describe different things. For instance, even in the Matrix, Trinity. This verse that you're looking at, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, is where it all started. This is the original writing behind the Trinity. And all this to say is in God's character, inherently, intrinsically, his being, he is relational. We see this, especially in the Gospel of John, where the Son, Jesus, talks about his everlasting, eternal, intimate relationship that he has with the Father and the Spirit. They have been in this amazing relational community Ever since eternity past and into eternity future. God didn't just create humanity and a bunch of animals because he felt lonely. No. Intrinsically, God was already relational and communal by definition of Trinity. So that's his character. He can't help it. And when we look at the way God is involved, take a look at this. When God created humanity, notice that God didn't just create Adam. But in these verses, it says God created male and female. He created them. In other words, even in the ways that God created humanity, he created humanity to be part of a relational community. We see this later. Verse 28, God blessed them, male and female, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. For God's vision, his plan, one of the things that he wanted humanity to do is fill the earth. So that we also can live in a relational community. So that there could be people, communities, relationships, blossoming, flourishing, all these different things. And we don't just see this in Genesis, but we see this from Genesis to Revelation throughout Scripture. And especially if you're part of the Bible reading plan, you recognize just how relational God is. So I'm not going to go through every single verse, but John chapter 17 in the Gospels. When we think about what is salvation, what is the gospel? Is it just eternal life? No, it's not just eternal life. Jesus specifies what eternal life is in this prayer, John chapter 17. This is straight out of the lips of Jesus. He prays, I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who will believe in me through the word. That's what? That they may all be one. That all of us can be part of a relational community in unison, in true unity. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I, the Son, Jesus Christ, is in the Father. Jesus is saying, in other words, he wants all of us to be in such a perfect, intimate, relational community that is analogous to the type of intimate, perfect union that Jesus has with the Father and by implication, the Spirit as well. He continues, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What Jesus is saying is, I don't just want to create a human system where they just have a relational community and the Trinity, they have their own relational community and these relational communities are just separate, parallel, siloed. What Jesus is saying is that they may also be in us. Part of the gospel, what does it mean to have eternal life? Part of it is that we are united with Christ. We talked about that. But we are also united with the same intimate relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. As we are conversing with one another, as we are getting to know each other, as we are trying to do church life in a relational communal context, it's not just between me and you and a bunch of fellow brothers and sisters, but it is between us and God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the reason why He works like this is because inherently, God is relational. We see this all the way to Revelation. Again, Genesis to Revelation. I'm being literal here. This is a second to last chapter. And John, who wrote Revelation, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Man! The whole point of all of this is for the dwelling place of God to be with us. God wants to extend his relational community to humanity. That he will dwell with them and that they will be his people. God himself will be with us as their God, as our God. So we see scripturally God's character, the way he is involved in life. He is relational, communal, however you want to phrase it. And it's not just salvation is us individually being saved. No, salvation is us being part of a relational community with each other and also with God. Um, when we think about God being so relational and Him, this being part of the central desires of Him saving humanity, it really should change the way we look at life. Uh, it's a very simple point. But the implications are truly profound. Things that we will never get used to until we see Jesus face to face. And here I want to talk about the last part. Our minds need to be renewed. Like, like for us, everything I mentioned, some of us may be nodding your head in approval. But for us to actually live that out, wow, it's transformative. It is truly radical. I'm just trying to think, what is the best way for me to express this? Should I use a metaphor? Should I use a movie illustration? Should I talk about my relationship with my wife or with my parents or with my kids? No, no. Let me just give it to you straight. All of your human relationships, the good ones, the bad ones, every single one of your human relationships are intended to make you appreciate two things. And hopefully for some of us, you know what these two things are. I'm not going to ask anybody to shout it out because, you know, we're doing this via stream. It's intended you to appreciate God's character and his involvement. And this is where worship comes in. Is all of your human relationships, everything, the annoying roommate who just seems so unreasonable, all the negative things that you sense in your human relationships, you know how that makes you appreciate God's character and involvement more? Is that unreasonableness, that stubbornness that you see in your significant other, that rebelliousness that you see in your child, all of that makes you appreciate how God is patient with your unreasonableness, your stubbornness, your rebellion. All the positive things that you see, like we mentioned in Mother's Day, yes, it's beautiful. My mom makes smoothies for me. My mom allows me to do these things. But more seriously, my mom is so thoughtful. The heart of mom, so sacrificial, all these different things. 
God didn't give that to you just so that you can just love and really idolize your mom. But it's to point you to God's character, his involvement. That when we see the sacrificial heart of a mom, does that not point us to the sacrificial heart of the father? Sending his one and only son, the sacrificial heart of Jesus, who actually gave up his own body and blood for us. And yes, it's very simple. But man, this has profound implications for us to truly live this out. Even in this uptown community, I am so blessed by some individuals, especially during this time. Our brother Simeon, thank you so much. I see how thoughtful you are, how much care you put in to make our worship experience much more meaningful. When I see that, yes, I love you, brother. And yes, those are qualities that you have, but those are God-given qualities. What that enables me to see is I appreciate God's thoughtfulness, how when God sees problems in our lives, how he does whatever it takes to solve those problems. When I see our sister Wynn serving behind the scenes and things that she does so much that she never gets that recognition, I see the sacrificial heart of God, how Jesus, although he is exalted, although he is the king of kings, he also serves behind the scenes, washing the feet of even his own disciples. When I see our brother Terry or other people in our praise team, Susan, Sarah, Selena, even today, Sally, all of you guys, when I see your dedication of how throughout the week you're pre-recording these praise times by the Monday before that Sunday, how you're probably practicing re-recording yourselves over and over again to get it perfect so that it could really edify us. I see the passion of Jesus who does whatever it takes so that we can worship God, that he would do whatever it takes, that he would actually die for us. When I see our brother Sonny, man, even when we connected this past week, how you give all of us virtual hugs and your heart of a father, I mean, like, I know you're not my dad, don't, don't get this the wrong way, but you have, like, I just feel like the heart of a father, you're so loving. And when I see that, that warmth, I see the warm, loving, intimate love of God. When I see our deacon Paul, and I know the past few months have been really difficult, not just work-wise, but driving-wise, physically, family-wise. And when I see you so committed, uncompromisingly, constantly reminding yourself of God's presence, of his character, his involvement, being aware that you're still in God's sovereign hands, I'm reminded of Jesus' righteousness, of his conviction, of even as he was bearing that cross, his mind was not on the pain, but his mind was, I'm doing this for my heavenly father. All of this is what I'm trying to say, is in our human relationships, both positive and negative, and we're going to talk about this, the negative ones even more in the um, overcoming conflict in that sermon in a few weeks. All of them are intended not just to benefit us, not just to make us feel good, or not just to idolize our friends or the names I just mentioned, or even our moms, or whatever. It's to point us to God's character, His involvement. That really is worship. I mean, what is worship? Worship is responding, being aware, submitting, acknowledging God's character, His involvement. That is truly what worship is. And the reason why I make this point so emphatic is because when we talk about things like routine, communal, living, relational community, whatever. When we talk about uh, conflict, handling adversity, all these different things. Yes, you can look at this from a self-help perspective. But more importantly, we are here to preach the gospel. What does the gospel have to say about relational community? Because you can have your relational community. You can be part of all the drop-in sessions. You can have your social networks. You can have everything perfectly balanced where you are thriving in life. And let me tell you, I'm sorry, but you can be living in sin. Because instead of using your social networks, your relational community to appreciate God's character involvement, you're actually just using it to benefit yourself. That is what the Bible calls sin. And I know that might sound harsh, so let me just break it down. I know we might have some newcomers, visitors, but what does the gospel have to do with communal relational living? It's first and foremost, the five basic food groups of the gospel. Who is God? God himself, like I mentioned, he is inherently relational, communal. The way he created everything is relational, communal. The way he created humanity, specifically so that we can have a special relationship with him that no other creation 
would be able to enjoy. That's the second basic fear group. Who is humanity? We are created in the image of God. More than any other creature organism, we have the capacity for this type of intimate relationship, specifically with God. So that as we have this amazing relationship with God, we can then govern and have dominion over creatures, over animals, over the birds of the air, over the seas of the fish, over, well not over, but with each other. Everything was supposed to hang in perfect balance and intimacy. But then that leads to the third basic food group. Although we are relational beings and we're supposed to be connected first and foremost with God, we say thanks, but no thanks. You know what, God? Thank you for creating me with these type of capacities. Thank you for giving me all these abilities. But I would rather enjoy these relationships without you. Even though you are the author of all this, even though personality, all these things come from you, I would rather take your gifts and shun you out of my life and enjoy these relationships with each other. And guess what that led us? That led us to dysfunction. Our relational issues, man, systemically and individually, systemically, we see in the news, even with the Ahmed Arbery situation, man, individually, I don't need to elaborate. All of us, we know, broken families, broken relationships with our parents, broken relationships with whatever, our work, our boss, our employees, our employers, or whatever it is, that is one of the devastating impact of our sin, of us rejecting distorting, suppressing God's character, his involvement, his desire to be relational with us. But thankfully, the fourth food group is what is the solution? God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. For a moment in time, for the first time ever, their perfect relational community was severed because the son, Jesus Christ, sacrificially took all of our sin, paid for it on our behalf, was for a moment separated from the Father because he bore the wrath of the Father. And not only that, not only did his death cancel and forgive all of our sinful tendencies, but his resurrection guaranteed that we can live a new life. We can live with a new mentality. And that leads to the fifth basic food group. What is the purpose? And this is the new mentality. The purpose is we live to honor and glorify God. We live to worship God. And what is worship? It is truly being responsive, aware, appreciative of God's character, his involvement, namely him being so relational. So that even in all of our relationships, we see traces of God's character and involvement, even in our own lives. I mean, I talked about this as three-dimensional living, however you want to phrase it, in all of our human relationships, everything, And not just relationships at this point, hopefully you recognize, even in our routine, even in the ways that we cope with adversity, even in our work, everything in life was intended for us to better appreciate God's character and his involvement in our lives. So as we close, um, I just want to briefly summarize why do I make such a big point between the difference between benefits and worship? And you really... For, we really need to understand this from a gospel perspective. I talked about maturity. I used the illustration last week. Sometimes we just do things because it benefits us, like that stubborn, petulant child at Starbucks. And yes, in some ways, you can become more relational and be part of a relational community because it benefits you. But hopefully that's not what you see as the main point of the sermon. It's more to honor and worship God. And that requires maturity as we learn and submit more to the gospel Um, I talked about sin and the purpose of glorifying God. I I don't think I need to reiterate that. Um, And even the order matters. Um, The idea is as we fix our eyes on worshiping God more than benefiting us, interestingly enough, that's when we ourselves are most benefited because we are living as we were actually created and designed to live. The order matters. First, our desire is to worship God. And then we actually experience all of these benefits and blessings. If you chase after the blessings and flip that order, you're basically living a life of idolatry and you will never be truly content or be living the life that God wants you to live. Um, so we're going to wrap it up in terms of this message. 
And I know I've talked about a lot of different things. Um, so hopefully it didn't seem too scattered. So let me just succinctly summarize it in this one or two sentence. Uh, being a part of a relational community is absolutely urgent. At the first level, it's for your own health. So please, please, if you feel lost, disconnected, if you're in the habit of living in isolation, please, and I'm not just talking about relationships or community, relational community, please, now, maybe you hop onto our interactive worship service right now in that Zoom session or after service, right now, today, tomorrow, immediately, this is urgent. But not only is it beneficial for you, but really, the reason why it's so urgent is because this is who God is. And this is how He created us. And what this means is, instead of just focusing so much on how we can be benefited, there's a better way. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a power to live beyond ourselves and to really see all these things as opportunities for us to sense, appreciate God's character and involvement, even in the most difficult relationships and even in the most pleasant relationships. And that is truly worship to God. So I know we did talk about a lot of different things. So I want to just once again remind us of the Q&A. Uh, so as we spend some time just praying, I do want to give us an opportunity to ask any questions or prayer requests. Maybe some of the things that you heard today might strike some prayer that you need. Please text them away. We would love to pray for those things. So uh, as we respond, um, again, I know that we might be in the comforts of our own home. If you can stand uh, better at if you can kneel or whatever, some type of posture. If those things are not feasible for you, then at least place your hand over your heart and lift up your other hand as if you're offering to God. And if your arm gets tired, you can you know surrender it this way. But basically, symbolically asking God, God, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to my heart right now? What are you trying to do to my heart? Are you trying to encourage me? Are you trying to instruct me? Are you trying to rebuke me? Are you trying to challenge me? Whatever it is, God, I know you are speaking. Have your way in me. So I just want to give us an opportunity to surrender our hearts, allowing God to speak to us uh, before we pray for maybe one or two other topics. And again, if you want to text away any questions or prayer requests, then you can do that as well.